Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. I'm excited because I don't know you very well. We just met. And so I feel like this really is a discovery call that we get to share and highlight what you're doing and you know the progress you guys are making at hemp blockchain and carbon blockchain. Have you guys transitioned names completely or are you? We, uh, we are in transition. Uh, we call ourselves uh, Renewable Carbon Solutions. We're, we're powered by the hemp blockchain and the carbon blockchain. We've... But RCS is is our little technical our, our technical name right now. Re- Renewable Carbon Solutions. I like it. I like it. I like it. I actually just saw your logo that came across. Dan sent it to me. So shout out to your team as well. But before we get into all the details about the team and what you guys are doing, I'd love to hear a little bit about who you are and what got you into this industry and some of your background. Well, my background. Oh, that one's a. It's going to have to start at the beginning, I guess. So when when other people were in high school and my friends were playing football and basketball and that kind of thing, I was I was competing at my local technical college for circuit building. I was building little circuits and competing regionally and state and nationals for the, basically industrial electronics. And uh, that that was kind of my passion. Uh, I really loved that kind of thing when I was young. So I joined the United States Navy. I was an aviation electronics tech with the United States Navy for a long time. Well, not a long time, but until after 9-11. But after 9-11, there weren't a lot of jobs for aviation electronics techs. So I did a 180 and I got into finance. At that time, residential and commercial lending was kind of a big thing at that time. I got into that before long. I found myself as the the home loan center sales manager for Washington Mutual. Oh. Uh, that was the day it went under in 2008 when the whole mortgage market kind of yeah. did this. About nine months after that, I got to looking around, looking for a new avenue, a new outlet, something I could be creative with and something that wasn't what I had been doing. And I found the medical cannabis market here in the Northwest. I opened a access point. We couldn't call them dispensaries at the time. So I opened an access point and a co-op and my wife opened the medical recommendation clinic. And we got into cannabis around 2009, did that until it became a recreational market. And then we shifted into, into hemp essentially. And I've been doing it ever since. We started with with extraction, but extraction kind of went to the sideline. And there's so many other things that you can do with the 50,000 plus products that come out of cannabis. So we, we've been just focusing in that sense. Okay, so extraction has been the big focus, right? Now, now a lot of the focus is around the fiber processing or some of these other industrial applications. Can you talk to me about those a little bit? Where, yeah, where is, where's the company focusing? 
Our company specifically, we focus on everything. Right now, we've got two two primary lines that focus on decortication, micronization, taking redded hemp stock and turning it into a product. It, but it depends on the client and what they're making. So it's it, it's offtake specific. So, but we offer a variety of solutions for different clients, and depending on if they want to make bioplastic additive or if they want to make uh, textiles and fiber or if they want to make hemp herd cat litter i mean just depends on what they want to make can you talk to me a little bit about the process for micronization versus decortication and some of the specs like this is going to be a big topic right and i'll help help us get through this but i want to i want to understand i know that there's a lot of listeners that are farmers who are looking for you know what am i growing what does it mean you know how does it need to be redded what is the how does it bailed to come into your facility can you yeah talk about some sure. of those <laughs> the easiest one of the easiest ways right now is to to ret your your hemp out in the field some people go ahead and they, they take the tops and they, they harvest the, the flower and the biomass or seed. It depends on what it is, but they, lay, they leave the stalk out in the field. It'll, it'll ret on its own. There are other ways you can ret it faster, but you take the harvester through, bale them up. And depending on the line that, that we've installed, some work better with round bales, some work better with square bales. But it depends on what your, again, what your offtake is. If so it's when, you, when you say it depends, so the decor, the initial phase could potentially change depending on what that end product is. Correct. If you were, let's say, if we were making textiles, for example, yeah, we would not micronize. I mean, some people are arguing with me on this, but if we want long fiber, right. we're not going to micronize. We're going to decorticate. And decortication, honestly, the technology hasn't changed in... 200 plus years. It's, it's the same. If you look in the U.S. Patent Office in the early 1800s for decorticating something like, oh, there's some other fibrous crop. I just right off the top of my head, I can't think of anything right now. But the you send the you send the stock through and goes through a series of rollers, and these rollers break the herd out of the the redded stock itself the herd drops out and what you're left with is the the bast fiber this is the outer fiber of the the plant itself and then that's that is scutched over a series of needles and it's raked out and it's cottonized that process hasn't changed in 200 plus years it's the same thing just bigger equipment and with hemp you're going to need the bigger equipment because i don't know if you've if you've talked to I know you've talked with a lot of people in the industry and I'm sure they'll all say the same thing. This stuff destroys equipment. Like the the current agriculture equipment isn't built to handle this kind of plant. But, so, yeah, the fiber yeah. itself, yeah, is so strong. Okay, so talk to me about what would change the input with micronized. Is is that whole plant then just That's that could be whole plant again depending on the offtake. Let's say you're Doing pulp and paper, for example. Yeah, right. You don't need to decorticate, which also depends on the process. There are many ways to make paper, but generally you wouldn't need to decorticate. You just need to micronize. And to micronize, it's essentially grinding it up, you know, just making it smaller. 
and then you'll send that on to right. either a coke tank or a pressure tank or there are some other proprietary industry specific ways to do that okay so yeah that's kind of what i'm curious about is how you know how how is the equipment different and i know you guys have some equipment installed can you talk to me a little bit about what what are the products that that equipment in colorado is producing for I'm not exactly sure what they're producing for right now. They were setting up that one specifically. That one was setting up for pulp and paper. It was setting up for bast fiber. It was setting up for, I think, a, a additive for, for bioplastics as well. So they were both, they were, they were doing micronization and decortication at that site, but their primary decortication unit it's one of one of our partners that sell that, and they're out of the Ukraine. They they've since moved after all of the yeah. stuff going on over there, and they're in Moldova right now. But their company is called Hemptera, and they uh, they engineered a one ton an hour unit. It can expand up to four tons, but right now they're set up for one ton an hour, and uh, it's a wonderful machine. Okay. So when you say wonderful, give me some of the specs. Like, what are we getting as far as quality, size, cleanliness, some of these um, effects? Well, I'll give you the spec of the machine real quick. Uh, yeah. That machine is somewhere between about 65 feet long. It's about 13, 13 feet wide. It weighs about 40,000 pounds total. You remember when I was saying, you know, you have to run the, the, the stock through a series of rollers? Yeah. Yeah, that the rollers that it runs it through are uh, eleven thousand two hundred pounds of rollers, just to get that, just to get it to break out of the stock, and that's not including the aspiration system. Uh, that's their way of keeping it dust free because about about you're getting about fifty pounds of dust for every bale you send through that machine. So it, it could be a fire hazard, it could be a health hazard. Like there's a lot that goes into keeping that designed right it, correctly yeah. yeah yes i would say that the dust i know is probably one of the bigger concerns from a lot of these machines right that we're seeing and i think what a lot of people forget about like when we're planning offtake agreements the dust collection is a whole nother material or product right right and just because it's hemp doesn't mean it's not herpy what I mean by is the essential oils inside of hemp are, well, we all know they're strong. I mean, everybody knows it's a very strong smell, but they're also highly flammable. So if you get terpene-laden hemp dust on your electrical components and motors and, and other stuff, then it becomes a fire hazard real quick. Hmm. So uh, I, would, I would imagine that would be very a lot less in fiber production, though, because all of that is redded in the field. Right. It, it, it does. It does. But it's still, it's a smelly process and it's a flammable process. You have to be careful. But, sure. uh, but as far as the offtake itself, when you put a bale in through that specific machine, you're getting approximately 70 to 80% herd material. That's your, your cellulostic material that falls yeah. out. And then you're getting... Uh, 15 to 20% of that is going to be bast fiber. That's that's a general, I mean, that's not exactly specific, but 
Can you talk to me about the secondary processing after decorticating, like you said, the cleaning? What are we looking at for specs? How clean is it as far as? Um, I wish I could share some pictures with you. It's really clean, but it also depends on how clean it is going in. Usually if you get it redded in the field and it's down to a certain moisture content, you just bale it up. It goes in. It goes in at a moisture content, probably about 15%. Sure. And then when it comes out dry, it's clean and it needs to go to another process for further degumming and further cottonization before you can make it a fiber that you can work with as far as weaving or, or making textiles or anything like that. Brian, I don't know if this is your vertical that you're, you know, hammering down on and within your industry or your company, because you guys have a solid team, but this is a great question is how is the dust reused? You know, where, where is it? So we're doing a couple of things with it. We've had one client who found a use for it. What I had planned on doing with it is pelletizing it and using it for using it for our pyrolysis production for carbon production. The, the, Let's say 50 pounds per bale is running that machine, but you put 50 pounds worth of pellets per bale into, let's say, a pyrolysis unit. But the steam from that pyrolysis unit is powering, it could be powering steam pulping for pulp and paper. It could be powering the generators. It could, we could be recapturing the syngas and running those generators. We could be recapturing the heat and running the dryers. Uh, it just depends on the type of facility that you've got you've got installed. But what we focus on mainly is any type of waste stream or a waste product or something that you wouldn't think about reusing. We try to close the loop on it and feed it back into the system. So that that's one of the one of our primary specialties is making closed loop systems, minimal waste as possible. Awesome. Tosh has a great question. Could it be composited back into the field or filled for animal feed, even filler for hempcrete or insulation? Yes, um, all, all of the above. <laughs> the dust is considered a contaminant, right? When it's in the herd, or it would consider it would make it a dirty, dirty product potentially, um, okay. depending on what it's going into. However, separate, you know, as a pellet, I think that's another product that could potentially be looked at into material, right? Just like a wood pellet. But if we take that pellet and we carbonize that pellet, now we have, now we have biochar and carbon black. We could, we could take an algae nutrient. We could take a a fungal nutrient or something like Mm -hmm. that. We could inoculate our, or activate our carbon as it's coming out of the stream, put it back in the field because that, that locks carbon and, and it it locks it into a, 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 a hard form and we can just store that back in the earth. Biochar is a, a really beautiful amendment to regenerative farming and especially in hemp cultivation. Okay, this may be a silly question and I feel a little bit awkward asking it, but what's the difference in micronized herd and the dust? Micronized herd and the dust. Dust is primarily micronized herd and and just dirt. So is so that's just the I guess there it will be contaminants from the crop in the field coming in where the herd itself would be 
more it would be clean. Now we could we've we've discussed I haven't done this yet, but we've discussed putting in sifters, at, you know, right there at the end uh, for our aspiration units and sifting out actual dirt from cellulostic material that we could reuse. So that is in Yeah, that part would make sense if you yeah. could clean it enough that then use it into a micronizer. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> and that's what you see everywhere in the... Okay, so I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but does the equipment, what's the air, the equipment look like as far as confining that dust? Is it what? layout or is it the actual equipment is closed system? It is a closed system. So any dust will get sucked out of the unit and into a cyclone system. That cyclone system has bags where the dust will fall into. It's essentially super sacks, kind of like you would see with seed harvesting. And when the sack is full, you grab the forklift, pull it out, put in a new sack, and then take that over to the micronization or pelletization area and have it pelletized. Gotcha. Bill's got a great question also. Do you have, do you capture the biochar producer gas for biofuel? So you're asking about syngas and I, we do. Yes. The, the tricky part is filtering it and cooling it because we want to reuse it, but there's so much moisture in that, in the syngas itself that We've, we've played with it, piping it back into our pyrolysis units for additional fuel, but we have to remove the moisture first. So that's been a, one of my personal projects over the last year is I've been making continuous feed and batch feed units for, for pyrolysis. And yes, you can totally recapture that syngas and reuse it. If you want to pressure or if you want to try to repressurize it into canisters, you have to add a you have to add a catalyst, though, to uh, to make it a liquid. Gotcha. It's a little tricky. Okay. Well, I understand you're speaking English, but some of these topics still go over my head. And uh, please well, feel free to ask. I'll sing as well as I can. I love it. I love it. Someone asked. Josh asked another really good question. Our machines run electric, and what is used to grease and clean? And is that considered a contaminant? You know, especially as we get into food grade products, I would assume that changes, you know, the type yeah. of equipment and type of material used. But can you speak a little bit to that part? Yeah, as far as like the decortication machines and stuff like that, nothing like that needs, we don't have to worry about certain types of regulations or C1D1 or, or any, of, any of that kind of stuff. So as far as the decorticators go, it's all standard machine oil and grease and yeah it's electric but we can hook it up to a generator you can run it on propane you can run it on diesel you you could refine your own hemp seed oil and run it on biodiesel that you made yourself i mean we could set it up with it just depends on what you have on site the last problem that i ran into was that one in colorado it was great, ready to go, but the power company wasn't going to have three-phase power or any equipment to run three-phase for a minimum of 18 months, even though the, the transformer was 30 feet from where I needed it. It was still going to take almost two years to get them to run that extension. So, Why? I just location-specific, uh, something to do with uh, they don't have parts. And I I'm... 
I don't quite believe them. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I mean, I guess say that they are being honest. I, mean, I think that that just speaks to where we're at as far as supply chain and how fast things are moving. I was joking about it today that, you know, there's so many things I wanted done six months ago that were just oh. starting or are six months away still or yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but it's given us time to do R and D. I mean, we've, We've run into a few things in our trials that we we didn't expect. So uh, it has this this I don't know break in policy and uh, with COVID and everything and everything going on politically, it's it's kind of given us a little reprieve to be able to test and see which direction we want to go. Well, we're seeing this paradigm shift, right? There's this big yeah. shift in focus of re- localizing supply chain. And you know, that's really what has sparked my interest is the impact that we can make on you know rural communities or underprivileged communities very quickly because of the resources and the jobs and you know the economic impact that's tied to the development of this industry. So it's pretty sure. exciting. I'm really excited about the possibilities for the building materials that come out of hemp. Some of the things that I, I personally am excited about are hemp composites. Some, some companies have already started making hemp decking, but if you can make, if you can make composite decking, then you can make, you can make windows, you can make vinyl siding, you can make, you can just a whole lot of things with just hemp and recycled plastic, you know? Yeah. So. That's where it gets exciting, right? Is this, these, and I've said this for a while, if we can just get the decortication and the raw material processing, you know, in place, then we get the raw material into the hands of these kids and they'll change the world with it. <laughs> and it's so, the new building material. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, yeah. Very, very exciting. Okay. So something that I've been thinking about and talking about a lot with the students I work for or work with are you know, this discussion about what is that sweet spot for scale? You know, we've got these companies that come in that want to build hundreds and millions of dollars worth of facility, you know, in or put hundreds of millions into a facility and need hundreds and thousands of acres, you know, compared to these other facilities that are currently operating that are smaller scale, one, two, four, you know, tons per hour. And, and still are struggling to get the acres that we need. So I'm kind of curious as this market scales and we start to see more acres come on, you know, what is that tipping point in that sweet spot to still compete in the market as big facilities come in, but yet still be able to get, you know, security of acreage and product. That's, that's a difficult one. Come on, get your glass ball out. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, don't quote me on this one. I I found we found that if it's something like a thousand acres or less, right? Typically, a farmer or a co-op of farmers they already have the infrastructure in place. Aside from something like a decortication unit, which no one really has, you know. But as far as buildings and harvesters and dryers and and you know. They already have a plan for that, most of them, a thousand acre and less. The sweet spot seems to be between the 5,000 and 15,000 acre processing per year. Because at, at that scale, then you're building out the minimum of like four, four ton an hour decortication. And, and you're really setting up, you know, bale dryers and, and like packaging. 
hundred plus thousand square feet of storage. Just storage alone is is huge. That's um, something people don't, I don't think, consider. It's something that you know is we don't talk about very much. Is the amount of storage that's needed for for product coming in and product going out and dust. <laughs> and dust, so much dust. But again, pelletize that dust, make it work for you. I mean, it's yeah. yours. So yeah, it's a, uh, it becomes a product. Organize it. Put it. Put it in your. Put it in your hempcrete. Put it in your bioplastics. Put it. It's great stuff. I've made batteries out of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love that you casually were like, well, everybody else is at high school playing games. I, I was geeking out and I, I just love it. I love <laughs> talking to people like you because uh-huh. you've got this depth of knowledge and you understand that the hemp industry is not the hemp industry. It's a product that feeds into all these other materials and manufacturing and supply yeah. chain solutions and Christopher had a question. What what are the power requirements for decorticating? Depends on the unit. At one ton an hour, you're looking at seventy five thousand kilowatts, probably in that and range. That sweet spot of four tons an hour. Where do you think that it needs to be? Hundred, hundred and twenty kilowatt unit at that just just for decortication. Yeah, but that's with all your dust collecting and everything but if if it's one of those thousand acre facilities that already have really great dust collecting then that's part of that that you don't need to purchase from us but if we're designing a full fifteen thousand acre a year facility then uh well they it, it, the number goes up <laughs> yeah of course yeah 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 okay so talk to me about you know part of my concern and what we see right is there's a market right now for herd. There's a market right now for some fiber, but there's not a lot of big scale fiber production for some of these higher quality, these cleaner. I don't, I don't even know how to say it. I don't, if they're, I don't know that higher quality is the right term because we're not really sure what that end market is, but say like a textile grade fiber going into a, a piece of clothing compared to a non-woven insulation. Right. Right. Okay. So, what are some of the the pairs or the parallels that fiber production or decortication facilities should be looking at, say, for example, grain production or oils as a complement to to the product and the material, right? For their their profit margin or their bottom line. Sorry, that was a hard question for me to get out. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to answer this. It just depends on, again, what your offtake is. If if you're going to do the whole thing, right? So you're going you're gonna to process seed and you're going to process, potentially you're going to process potentially flour, not, not specifically for, you know, smokable flour or anything like that, but you might want the terpenes. You might want to distill the terpenes off of that. You after you've after you've separated the seed out so there's there's offtakes for this then there's then there's decortication you have offtakes for herd you have offtakes for fiber any waste material you could turn you can make into carbon carbon is going to be in my opinion a large commodity here in a very short amount of time we stumbled upon 
Clayton, for example, stumbled upon uh, what I call the key to saving the planet. When we were having those conversations many, many years ago about, well, how are we going to, what happens if 500 acres pop hot and we have to destroy 500 acres of, you know, cannabis? What are we going to do? What's the best way to do that? And then we got into pyrolysis and then we realized that you know, by turning the hot crop or waste material into carbon, not only have we made a very, very viable building material, but we've also made key for regenerative farming, for cultivation, for just restoring the land, essentially. I mean, our, our current means of agriculture and the way that we have been growing food for the last you know few decades has destroyed our land it is Are you talking is, about biochar being able to I'm put- talking about biochar yeah, yeah. As, as a key component but if you let's say you're making biochar right yeah and you want to revitalize your land mm-hmm. and you go out to the, your specific land and you gather local algae local mycelium local beneficial nematodes local you know just bacteria that live in the soil you can brew that and then inoculate or activate your carbon that you're making with this and then you put that back into the land it it it, it's one of the best things that you could possibly do for it i know you've you you like my uh, you've mentioned my plants in the background here. You should see my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need some of this knowledge. Like I need to spend time because I yeah. my friends make fun of me all the time. I'm I just am terrible. Yeah. I I is it compost tea? Is it the same it's, thing? I do compost tea, but this specifically, I do a compost worm tea and I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. My friend my friend Gary makes this. This is his own algae. Okay. And and it does the same thing only better. Okay. And if I could if I can activate carbon with this and put it in the ground. It, and then it holds on to the so the carbon holds on to that, right? That's it. There you go. See, I'm I'm picking up on some of this. I've listened <laughs> enough. I I don't know very much, but it holds on to it. There's such a surface area with the carbon that mycelium that you put I don't know. You you put a bunch of nutrient on the ground; it just washes right off. It, there's nothing for it to hold on to. But everything that lives on this planet is a carbon-based life form, and we need it. And it really, really does help for uh, regenerative farming and soil restoration. Okay, so renewable blockchain or a carbon solution, renewable carbon solution on the blockchain, right, helps to track this for the farmers and for anybody that's then involved in this supply chain, right? Can you talk a little bit about some of the other components that you guys are using specifically partnered with decortication? No, we've talked about biochar. We've talked about, yeah, I'll let you. God, I wish, honestly, I wish our visionary Clay was on this call because he'd be able to answer this one a lot. We'll have to, okay, this is a shout out, Clay. You've got to come on sometime. If you're still listening, I'd love to have you on as well and talk about some of, yeah, some of this other side. He's the one that you should be talking to. I'm just a technical guy. Which is great. Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) I love love the tech talk. So we'll get back to that. (laughs) But... I forgot what I was going to say to answer your question. 
we some of the other products that are being paired up with decortication. Like, are you guys doing grain also? Grain, grain production, oil, grain production, everything from making hemp milk to animal feed to chicken feed, shrimp, like the the omega threes that are in hemp seed versus pretty much anything else. You have you have omega three, omega six, and omega nines. Like you've got crude protein. If you could look at the nutritional chart of hemp seed versus uh, on a corn, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. But our main focus, again, I always go back to the carbon. Uh, we're still in the, the $100 million X prize right now for, for carbon sequestration and removal, locking it in and, and taking non-regenerative carbon like our fossil fuels that we burn right now and, and using more regenerative sources. So we're not pulling it out of the, out of the dirt or out of the earth and putting it back in the atmosphere. We're just taking atmospheric carbon, trapping it in something like hemp, making the oil. And if we were to use that as biodiesel, it's now a regenerative carbon cycle. Right. So the carbon piece becomes the planet. I, I would love to chat more about the carbon piece and the technical side of, you know, what does that look like for the farm and for everybody that's involved in the supply chain? And I don't know if that's your place in this. I know. I, I mean, everybody seems to have, you have a lot of people on your team or some great people and everybody's working on different verticals. So is the carbon we, piece? We got, we got almost combined, almost 50 years of experience in hemp. I mean, with our little, our little unit here. So. Yeah. And our skills overlap, but but we're all, I don't know, we're all little powerhouses in the areas that we that we do. So exactly, exactly. So who on the team is the carbon and blockchain brain? That would be Clay. That, okay. would be Clay. that would be Clay's. Clay came up with the idea for the blockchain. That's all him. Awesome. That's yeah. pretty cool. You should definitely well, talk to him. Well, he gives you lots of props, and so I have to. Oh call this out. Brian is amazing. And he actually does all the work or does uh, the work. So see, uh, well, ideas and we, we, we hammer them out and try to figure out how to make it work. Curious about a technology component for updates. It looks like Natasha Tosh has a question. Sure. She said, what about the maintenance and design updates? Is there any technology component? Maintenance and design. There's there. We're always trying to refine what we're doing. But maintenance is ordering parts, Cedra. What service level? What's that? She oh, said ordering parts. What service level? So we have we always keep parts on hand, and we use the same types of electrical motors, so that you know we try to keep it uniform all the way across. Same bolt pattern, same nuts, same same everything. That way, we always have parts on on hand. Our factory moved from Ukraine to Moldova. We're safe there. All the all the workers are safe. Everyone's good. Awesome. And uh, as far as our support goes, I'd be happy to fly out anywhere you would like to, to work on it. But honestly, they're not that difficult. Uh, like I said, this is a 200-year-old technology, but it's just large. It's very large. Updated for sure. Uh, supply chain issues with parts. You know, 
let me ask this. Actually, I'm going to rephrase this a little bit different. If I were to order equipment, how do we get in touch to order equipment? You guys are distributing equipment or just growing or just... just We are distributing, installing, and servicing all of the equipment. Right. Um, And if you were to... Let's say you were to order a decorticator like the one that we just installed or I just installed over in Colorado. I'd say like if you were to order it today... 60 to 90 day turnaround time for everything to come in and work to start assuming that you know everything is in place but we don't have any issues for for supply chain right now awesome 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 what what other question was i going to ask you order oh how do people get in touch with you oh uh you can go to our website type in you can type in the carbon blockchain you can type in the hemp blockchain we're going to be launching our new site within the next week or so for re- renewable carbon solutions. But we're fairly new as far as an online presence goes. But behind the scenes for a little while. Been working behind the scenes for a little while. It's true. Yeah. Working hard. Awesome. Awesome. Chris has a has a great question. Mortal, do you have mobile decortication? Available. And I'm curious. No, we, we've discussed you. that. Yeah, we've discussed that. Not right now, but I don't see why that shouldn't be a thing. We we've discussed mobile carbon production lines and a few other mobile production lines, like drying production lines and that kind of thing. And we have discussed it, but we don't have anything right now. Not to say that I, you know, six months from now we won't have a few trucks going out to different farms, but. Sure. Well, and I think that that's a, you know, that's one of those questions that I kind of go back to on that sweet spot. It's almost like we need, I mean, I go back to like the grain elevator model, right? Where people are dropping grain and from there it's being transported and trucked further. I I just am curious about how that works with mobile compared to the one to four tons per hour or even bigger. (laughs) That mobile unit would come in very handy for those those people who are doing the thousand acres or less a year that I was talking about because they yeah. usually have their own infrastructure. They have everything. They don't need a full decortication unit, but to rent one for like a, a month would be great. But again, that sweet spot is in that 5,000 to 15,000 acre range. And that's when they're going to need their own decorticator on site, you know, and it's running 260 days a year type of thing. Yeah. Okay, so how on mobiles do you collect like collect dust or all of the products that would potentially be used? Or would you limit yourself to a like a herd shivs of certain, you know, a couple sizes and some rough hurt or rough fiber that needs cleaned? It, it just offtake specific. If if you're just making fiber and they don't even really care about herd, then and it's a mobile unit, then we're probably not even bagging the dust. We're just blowing it out in the field. <laughs> but but if you need that, if, if if we need to build a closed unit or a closed loop unit, then we will. And sure. Uh, we'll, yeah. Sure. I wanted to, Tosh is in Africa and doing work in Africa, and she's been really engaged in this conversation. And Clayton just made a great comment that said, we do have mobile units that are very manual. It doesn't make much sense for the U.S. due to labor. But I wonder if this would be something that would be really beneficial in Ghana and Africa, where she's working to build, where 
the availability for large facilities is not necessarily where they'll take off right off the bat. So right. your opinion or feedback there. I, I would actually, Clay would be better <laughs> to answer this one. For there, yeah, again, it would be better for areas where they don't have a lot of infrastructure, but they got a lot of people. Right. Yes. So some of the decortication units that we have available are highly labor intensive mm-hmm. where, you know, you're, you're loading a bale and then you're breaking the bale apart and then you're making sure that it's lined up right as it goes into this machine. Like we have automated units that take care of all of that. But if you don't have 80 plus thousand kilowatts of power to do all of that, then, then it becomes the labor intensive unit and you're, you've got five people running one machine and it's not using as much power, but you've got, you know, your labor force has increased. So, right. So, yeah, we do have options for that. Right. Well, and I think that that's where, you know, we're so different than some of these other countries that are just coming on board where, you know, we go back to the impact we'll make for them at a much smaller scale, but the scale of impact is just seems so much bigger, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about those basic needs that become viable resources. Yeah. Sure. Resources. Cool. Okay. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the sweet spot. I'm curious from you about scale of the industry over the next few years, you know, what are you anticipating as far as Processing facilities, acres grown, demand, you know, products development, any of it. I'm anticipating that we haven't even started the industry yet. I, I've I've met so many of the same people, you know, and and we're so. I know it looks big, and and I've read the USDA reports on how much we've grown last year versus you know the projections and all this stuff. This is we haven't even started. Agreed. This isn't an industry yet. It's it's going to be though, and it and when it goes federally, like I know we've had the 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 farm bill passed and everything, but when cannabis as a whole goes federally legal, and then someone's putting regulations at a federal level on cannabis, I th- just my own opinion, I think that's when we're going to see an industry start. That's that's when that's when the fifty thousand plus products really start to grow. But and what's what's a time frame you think? Why? <laughs> uh, hmm. Three five years okay, before yeah. you see the the, the switch. Yeah. And I, well, and I think we're gonna see you know acreage like this. Bill just made a really good comment right here. National hemp planting this year has fallen to almost nothing, and it has right. Not only are we battling, you know, record high commodity prices, but the drought and the floods that are hitting our farms are crazy. And so, yeah, and and also the burden of risk is still very much on the farm. And that, that has and to if change. You're not growing. Sorry, go ahead. If no, you're not you're good. I was just saying that has to change. And you're just if you're doing regular hemp, not industrial hemp. And it's the technicality to grow a successful crop. You know, the difficulty level goes up extremely because, you know, this isn't a greenhouse. This isn't a hybrid grow house. You're in the middle of the field. So you're going to get rain and you're going to get humidity and you're going to get all these different factors. Uh, your, your border crop is going to stress. When your plants stress, they pop hot. Like there's so many different little things that's going on that could contribute to a crop failure, you know? 
So well, it, this this is where we did fiber variety trials this year to try to help in some of this. And when I was in Kansas, shout out to Melissa for the fiber trials that she's done. But it was really interesting to see some genetics not show up at all. Some are doing really great. Some have already flowered. Some didn't get weed, you know, get canopy cover. So the weeds took over and it's, you know, you can see she, she planted them in four different, each variety, four different times so that we could take an average of growth and it was consistent. Right. And we're seeing some across different, different States also with the same results. And so it's, yeah, again, this lack of data. And when we talk about this timeline and realizing the amount of data that's still needed to make good business decisions to slow farmers feel comfortable scaling their acres to a hundred thousand, 10,000 million acres. Right. And I just reality of where we're really at. Great question too here, Bill is how many, how, how much per acre does a farmer need to consider planting? Or how much per acre does a farmer need? Sorry. Are we growing industrial or are we growing yeah. fiber and fiber and or grain? Mm-hmm. I uh, it it depends on how you're planting it. If it's yeah, again, it depends on how you're planting. Um, well, and I think this is a tricky question, right? As I I kind of dove into some of this with some other farmers, and it depends on the farmer's bottom line. Right. Yeah. What is that farmer's bottom line? What, how big is their acre acreage? You know, what's it worth to them? Are they using it to break up de- disease pressure? Are they looking for a profit just on that acre? You know, are they are they putting it on dry land? Are they reserving water by not putting much as much on the hemp field so that they have more for the cornfield? There's lots of <laughs> variables I think that make it worth it. There are, but I'm going to, th- I'll throw out a couple freebie little numbers here. And it's just what I go off of in my head uh, because on average you're getting per acre for industrial hemp, you're getting about 8,000 pounds of redded stock for, for dry hemp flour. You know, you're getting about 4,000, 4,500 pounds and for clean hemp seed, that's, that's that's after it's been sifted and all the unviable seed are gone and all the bug parts and dirt and debris are gone. You're getting about a thousand to twelve hundred pounds of clean seed per acre, and then you can do the math from there on however many acres you need. And then that that'll break out to you know stock, baled, uh, let's see, herd. Bast, long fiber, short fiber, green plant, dry flower, terpene, seed, protein meal, oil, hulls, biochar, wood vinegar, tar, blah, 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 blah. It keeps what, going. What are genetics? You know what I mean? Like, where are you guys? Because I feel like this is such a broken piece of the of the market when we look at scale at, at the farm is understanding what genetics are going to produce that type of, of material, you know, and knowing like certified seeds isn't really considering or looking at the, you know, production or the, the volume that's being produced. It's looking at the THC level. And so, you know, how do we, how do we bring that revenue back to the farm when there's such variance? You, you need to know the genetics that you're planting, whether it's like a berry blossom or Matterhorn or, or any of the other like flower producing ones. And then you've got your industrial hemp, 
We do some genetics. Uh, we haven't been working in cultivations. We've been more in the processing side of things. Mm-hmm. But we do have industry experts in cultivation. And if we needed to do, if we needed to get a consultation done on a specific farm and that kind of thing, we would we would hit those connections. But I personally am not in the genetic side of things. I have been in cultivation for a while, but not not the genetics. Cool. Yeah, I'm. Th- those look some of the things you know when we look at like what the timeline is to scale. That you know we have to like reel people back in sometime and say that you know even if we have all of the processing set up, we still need to be considerate about you know scaling the seed production alone to grow the acreage that we need. Let alone knowing what seeds we're going to scale. Well, there's. I, I've seen some re, uh, some things that make me excited recently, especially with seed production. I don't personally have any of these seed, but I've recently seen hemp seed the size of corn kernels, mm-hmm. and and I've seen the genetics that make those plants. So I'm excited to see how that's going to go, because that's going to change some things. And I may have to change some equipment. <laughs> if I'm Interesting get- things this week too, as I was meeting with some of the equipment producers for planting the seeds and the trouble that they're having with the little tiny seeds that it's, you know, shearing them and then therefore affecting germination rates. And so, you know, those bigger seeds are, are typically easier because they're more standard across the, the other, the other crops or the other commodities. Right. They're, uh, they're using an older sifting method to separate out their seeds and that, it's essentially trays with holes in them and they shake and the seed drops through and some of them get caught and sheared. There's a different method that they use where they're using high-speed cameras and puffs of air and they're separating seed with high technology, really fast cameras and puffs of air. Mm-hmm. So that, depending on the equipment, that may that may solve your issue. Well, and I think that 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 was similar to what we were talking about talking to and it's it's when the disc when it dropped in something about anyways i can't even speak to it but long story short right it those are some of the things that are going to have to be developed or progress the 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 filter or the i don't know what word i'm looking for where the separation of the seeds you know gives some well, we, there's a lot of there's a lot of technology that's being developed right now that's not on the market, but it's being developed around cannabis, especially in the um, lean and peem area. These are they're basically like a little mass spec. It's a spectrometer that reads it, you. It'll just read the leaf. You just put it up to the leaf. It'll read the leaf. It'll tell you the exact strain of that plant, and it'll tell you if it's male or female without ever needing to like go into any type of flower cycle. Is that Um, important in industrial applications though? In industrial applications, maybe not so much, but if you, let's say you wanted to, you wanted to put this technology, if you wanted to like find what males were in your field, or if there were any Hermes in your field or anything like that, with this technology, you'd be able to put it in something like a specialized Help me. I haven't had my coffee this morning. I, know, um, you know, I tell you, it's oh. continuous. Don't drink the water. <laughs> and then scan your whole field, and then you'll be able to like pinpoint your problem areas, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I'm just interested to see where that kind of technology is going to go. Totally, totally. Yeah. 
Okay, so what are some of the, you said earlier, mentioned that the, and we only have a couple minutes, so just in the last sec, you had mentioned earlier that the biocomposites is really something that's exciting, right? What are some of those high value products that you know you see could really help drive the industry that allows that profit margin and time for research, you know, and growth as the industry? Um, honestly, anything as far as like composite materials go, everything from the automotive industry to the the you know avionics to just parts and pieces like you you can make you we could take our my own opinion this is my my information that i've gleaned from my own research but right now the united states we're hemorrhaging about six million dollars or sorry six billion dollars a year to the recycling program that we currently have in our nation we we don't have we have but we we don't don't. we subsidize six billion dollars a year to an industry that's not working and and if we could take those plastics and pyrolysize the plastics, I could I could pyrolysize it and turn it into fuel. I, I could I could take those plastics and mix it with hemp and make composite decking that'll never ever degrade. That it, it'll look great all the time. I could make vinyl windows with it. I could make siding with it. I could make I could make roofing tiles with it that have solar panels on them. I mean, just there's so many different things that you could do with this stuff and it's just waste right now it's- i didn't even think about that right with graphene and batteries and carbon yeah, and, and circuits <laughs> in your roof right and i've I seen I, you know we've seen other people like carl talk about his block you know his brick that has been made with hemp basically that charges yeah. you know yeah. and so yeah so I, here's, I here's, the, here's the thing that uh, clay and i and steve and our, our team yeah uh, discovered by accident that I mean I knew hemp carbon was productive or conductive I just didn't know how conductive yeah and we have successfully made batteries with it and uh, I don't I don't want to tell you I I want to tell you but I don't want to tell you because it's so exciting it's like amazing material Okay, well, when you guys are ready to talk about it, and we can talk about it, I would love to invite any of your team to come back on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, I'd love to dive in more about decortication and see some product. I don't know if you guys have samples, if people are looking for samples of, you know, material. Okay. And they can get, they can find you on your website. Is that right? Best place to find you. Yeah. And and I'm sure uh, Clay or Dan will also send over some info. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Tosh, also thank you for you your contribution. Let's make sure you guys connect about the smaller decortication and some of the projects that you're working on. I think it would be a great, great opportunity. But Brian, anything else that you want to share before we close up? No, just other than, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of our team. One of the things that we are still involved in is the $100 million Prize. We're in the final 280 right now for carbon sequestration, capture and locking it in, just trying to save the world. (laughs) It's funny. I love the, it's not funny. It's like I said, hemp opened up this passion of mine that I didn't know existed. And it really is around the opportunity we have to make an impact to reverse so much of the damage that we are doing. So that's pretty awesome. 
It's awesome working with you guys also. Well, Brian, if there's anything we you need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm, I'd love to support, help you. I'd love to come and look at the equipment sometime. I don't know if we can arrange that. I would love to do that. And then also samples. Um, I'll reach out to Daniel and see if I can't get some samples because, of course, we have lots of people looking to you know, use it in different, different end products. And so, Brian, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for everything that your team does. You guys are incredible to the, the association and the industry. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Thank you.